If you have your Bibles, turn with me to 1 Thessalonians. We'll be in chapter 2, verses 13 to 16. It is found in the Pew Bibles on page 1046. If you are visiting us and do not own a Bible, please take that as a gift from us. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 13 to 16. My favorite children's book to read to my kids is Little Pilgrim's Progress. It is a kid's version of John Bunyan's book, Pilgrim's Progress. Y'all, the book shows the reality that Christ saves sinners from judgment through faith and all who trust in him. And it depicts the costliness of following Jesus. That those who have trusted in Christ will encounter opposition, hate. The enemies of Christ will seek to deceive Christians, and they will seek to kill them for their faith in Christ. And as Christians, we will endure persecution as we journey all the way until glory. Christian in book one and his siblings in book two, they become Christians and they travel to the celestial city. The book shows an ongoing embracing of God's word, it being strengthened by God to endure persecution and opposition on account of Christ. The very word that they embrace is the very word they continue to hear as they are strengthened to persevere in the faith until they arrive to glory. Y'all, it is an excellent book to read to your children. And I love that it captures, in essence, the Christian life. For the Christian life is not one of great earthly comfort, but it's one that comes at a great cost. You see, we who believe in Jesus, who identify with him, we will suffer on account of his name. And in this pilgrimage, all the way into glory, we are to be a people who treasure Jesus, who hold fast to him and persevere through the affliction that we encounter on account of his name. Beloved, we are going to see these truths in this morning's sermon text. So 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 13 to 16. If you're able to, please stand for the reading of God's word. This is why we constantly thank God, because when you received the word of God that you heard from us, you welcomed it. Not as a human message, but as it truly is, the word of God, which also works effectively in you who believe. For you, brothers and sisters, became imitators of God's churches in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. Since you have also suffered the same things from people of your own country, just as they did from the Jews, who killed the Lord Jesus and the prophets and persecuted us. They displeased God and are hostile to everyone by keeping us from speaking to the Gentiles so that they may be saved. As a result, they are constantly filling up their sins to the limit, and wrath has overtaken them at last. You may be seated. Our big idea for this morning's passage is this. Show evidence of your conversion by constantly embracing the gospel and enduring persecution. I know that's a mouthful. Let me say it again. 
show evidence of your conversion by constantly embracing the gospel or continually embracing the gospel and enduring persecution. From this passage, we have three exhortations for us. First, we're to embrace God's word. Second, endure persecution. And as we endure, third, we expect judgment on God's enemies. To embrace God's word, endure persecution, all the while we have an expectation of judgment on God's enemies. Before we dive into the text, give a quick recap. And so Paul, in the first section of chapter 2, he reminded this congregation of his ministry and their time together, how he loved them and preached God's gospel to them and lived it out before them. The very ministry that he received, it came from God, and his very message that he proclaimed is the gospel of God. Well, in this morning's passage, Paul will speak of the results of his ministry, as there was visible evidence of conversion, which brings us to the first exhortation, that we are to be a people who embrace God's word. Look at verse 13. This is why we constantly thank God, because when you received the word of God that you heard from us, you welcomed it. Not as a human message, but as it truly is, the word of God, which also works effectively in you who believe. Paul and his companions, they ceaselessly thanked God for the Thessalonians' reception of the gospel and them having a right view of it. They heard the gospel from Paul. They embraced it as it, what it truly is, the word of God. And this is what Paul is referring to when he says the word of God. You see, the gospel finds its origin in God, and he is the owner of it. In chapter 2 of 1 Thessalonians, Paul repeatedly beats that drum to make that clear. In chapter 2, verse 2, he says, We were emboldened by our God to speak the gospel of God. In chapter 2, verse 4, he says that we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. In chapter 2, verse 8, he says that we spoke to you the gospel of God. In chapter 2, verse 9, he says that we preached God's gospel. You see, the gospel is God's. This gospel is a message, and it is about Jesus, the eternal son who became man. He's the son of David and the son of Abraham, the promised messianic king whom the Jews have been anticipating. He walked the very earth that he spoke into existence. He lived perfectly and suffered and died on the cross, fulfilling the messianic prophecy of being the suffering servant as he made atonement for sins. And three days later, he resurrected from the grave and saves all who trust in him. Beloved, this message declares God's love and it gives salvation to all who believe. Here Paul makes known that this gospel, it came from God 
through the apostles and to the Thessalonians. They embraced this message by faith. And though they embraced it by faith, notice who Paul thanked. In verse 13, he says, this is why we constantly thank God. Because when you receive the word of God, the Thessalonians was the ones who embraced the message. And yet Paul thanked God. Why would Paul thank God for them receiving the message and not the Thessalonians? For they are the ones who received it. Well, the reason why is because receiving the gospel properly, embracing the gospel by faith is first and foremost a work of God. Because due to Adam's rebellion, humanity enters the world depraved. We are born spiritually dead in that enmity with God. Romans chapter 8, verses 7 and 8 would say that the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. For it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot, and those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Beloved, this is our spiritual state when we are born into the world. And so if we're going to embrace the gospel as what it truly is, God must first work within us. That's exactly what he does through his spirit as he regenerates us. You see, through the work of regeneration, God's spirit brings the spiritually dead to life. He gives the new heart. He opens our eyes to the truth about Jesus. We are given the gift of faith and of our own volition. We respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ. You see, regeneration results in reception of the gospel. It is those who have been regenerated know that this message is not of human descent. It is not of human origin. Instead, it comes from God. That's what Paul goes on to say. He says, you received the word of God that you heard from us. You welcomed it not as a human message, but as it truly is, the word of God. Beloved, the gospel is from God. He promised it in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, right when sin entered the world. It has been prophesied by the prophets throughout the scriptures, so much so that in Romans chapter 1, the very beginning of Romans, Paul will make known that the gospel of God was promised beforehand through the prophets in Holy Scripture concerning his son, Jesus. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, the scripture reading that we read, Paul will tell Timothy that you have known the sacred scriptures, which are able to give you wisdom for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. The Old Testament is important. As through it, Christ is concealed, and when he comes, he fulfills what's in it. The gospel, it is not from man nor by man, but from God. It is his word. And those who have been regenerated know this to be true. You see, we know that the gospel is not one of many true religious messages. Where other religious messages are false, only the gospel is true. This message is not one where you can categorize your truth versus my truth, but the gospel is the truth. As the truth is found in Jesus, and Jesus is the truth. Now, though unbelievers will propagate that the gospel is a hoax, it is a fairy tale, it is irreverent, I mean irrelevant, beloved, it is God's word. The regenerate know it, and one day all will know. 
is as we embrace this message, we are converted by faith in Jesus Christ. And so for, if you are here today, you know yourself to not be a Christian, friends, I am glad that you are here. I want you to know that the gospel is completely true. Not because we say that it's true, but because God has spoken. Because it is from him. The very God who you have offended with your own sin, he loves you. He sent his son to save sinners. As Jesus became, as Jesus walked this earth, as Jesus died on the cross to bear the judgment that we rightfully deserve. It was at that very cross, the song that we just sung, where God poured out his righteous judgment upon his son to save all who would trust in him. But Jesus didn't, Jesus didn't remain dead. As we sung in the very first song, Jesus is alive. He resurrected and he is seated at the right hand where he rules and reigns and he saves all who would trust in him. Friends, I would implore you this very day to turn from your rebellion and embrace Jesus Christ by faith. For then your sins will be forgiven. God's judgment will no longer be over you. Instead, he will speak his promises that you will become an adopted son and daughter through faith in Christ. If you would like to, you can talk with any of our members after service. It is when we embrace this message that we become Christians. And beloved, the embracing of the gospel is not just a thing in the past, but it is an ongoing belief in what Jesus has done and who he is. Evidence of conversion is an ongoing treasuring of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul gets at that in the, in the same verse. He says, you receive it as it truly is, the word of God, which also works effectively in you who believe. That word believe here in the Greek is in the present active tense, meaning that it is an ongoing belief. It's not the fact that I believe in the past and I no longer believe. It's I believe then and by God's grace, I still believe now. And as we believe, God continues to sanctify us, doing this invisible sanctifying work within us through his word, by his spirit, making us more and more like Jesus. The very gospel that saves is a gospel that goes to work in us. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 12 says, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than a two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joint and of marrow, and is able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Paul would say in 2 Corinthians, not Corinthians, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 and 17, all scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped in every good work. The word of God goes to work in us. Beloved, this is why the apostles preached the gospel. They preached no other message because there is no other message that saves. There is no other word that actually goes to work in us and sanctifies us, making us more and more like Jesus. This is why when we preach, we open up God's word and preach what it says because we have confidence that God will sanctify his people that God will save the lost as his word goes forth. 
The Bible says that faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ, which is why we preach this word. Paul, he goes on to encourage this congregation. He knew that the word of God was at work in them. He says it works effectively in you who believe. Paul thanked God for God's sanctifying work in this congregation. Because that's what God's word does in his people. Now, sanctification is not always immediately noticeable. But over time, it will be evident. And as Paul encouraged this congregation, beloved, as I studied it, I can't help but encourage you guys. Though we've been a church for two years, a little bit over two years, there's been evidence of God's saving work in the life of members in this church. Some of you, when we constituted and planted, you guys were more reserved, more reluctant to actually spend time with people, less intentional. And yet we've seen by God's grace over time. Some of you who fit that category have been very intentional to initiate conversations and pursue members, opening up your lives and sharing the difficulty, asking for members to pray for you. Others of you, when we first started, by God's grace, you guys were struggling with particular sins. And we've seen, by God's grace, over time that you begin to have victory over those sins to where you're no longer ensnared to them by grace. And others of you, we've seen how you have been sorrowful and prayerful over your situation, the difficulty, whether it be health or singleness, and you continue to trust the Lord in that season. And not only are you trusting the Lord, we've seen some of you rejoice with those who rejoice, as the Lord in his kindness have given to other members in this body the very thing that you are desiring. Beloved, this is evidence of God's sanctifying work in your life. So you're able to rejoice with those who rejoice as they experience the very same thing that you desire. Beloved, this is evidence of grace and God will continue to sanctify us. His word will continue to be effectually at work in us as we embrace, savor, and treasure the gospel of Jesus Christ. The reality is, apart from embracing this gospel, our growth in Jesus is stunted. You see, closed ears, closed Bibles, no fellowship, no meditating on the gospel will inevitably result in little to no growth in Jesus. But we grow in our salvation as we embrace the gospel and apply it to our very own lives. In a commentary, Leon Morris would say, Where the word of God is welcomed with obedient faith, there the power of God is at work. So, beloved, in this season, how are you doing in embracing the gospel? How are you doing in embracing God's word? Are you meditating, delighting in, and applying it to your personal life? Are you doing this in your personal time, and are you also doing it publicly through the preaching of God's word? In this section, Paul emphasizes that the gospel is God's word. He celebrates the Thessalonians' right response to it. As they viewed it as what it truly is, the gospel. And beloved, this would be something well to pray for one another as you pray through the directory. 
that we would constantly embrace God's word for as it truly is. That we would not harden our hearts, but that we would treasure it and savor it. And that the Lord would sanctify us, making us more and more like Jesus. As we embrace God's word, as we embrace the gospel and believe it, it will inevitably result in encountering persecution on account of Jesus. Because as we identify with him, we will suffer like him. And the evidence of one's conversion isn't merely in encountering persecution, but in enduring it. Which brings us to our second point. We're to be a people who endure persecution. Look at verse 14. Paul says, For you, brothers and sisters, became imitators of God's churches in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. Since you have also suffered the same things from people of your own country, just as they did from the Jews. You see, the Thessalonians, they embraced the gospel, they loved Jesus, and they began to suffer on account of Jesus. And here we see that they became imitators, not only of Paul and of the Lord, as we saw in chapter 1, verse 7, but here we see that they became imitators of congregations, local geographic gatherings of those who believe in Jesus, who identify with him and preach the gospel. We're united to Christ by faith and therefore have union with God. This is true not only of the Thessalonians or the churches in Christ Jesus that are in Judea, but of all true churches around the world, whether Midtown, Minnesota, or Dubai. We have a common Lord and a common faith. And another thing that we have in common is that we will encounter persecution. He says, you became imitators of God's churches in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. How so? Since you have also suffered the same things from people of your own country, just as they did from the Jews. Now, this imitation was unwitting. They didn't actually go to Judea and see how they suffered. Instead, what Paul is saying is that you guys had a very similar experience from your own people, just as they did. They endured persecution from people of their own ethnicity. As the Thessalonians were transformed by the gospel, they lived amidst a pagan society. And so they began to preach that Jesus is Lord. They preached that other people's idols, these gods, are mere idols. They are not God at all. They are preaching that you guys need to repent of your sins and place your faith in Jesus for wrath is coming. And the people's response wasn't them embracing the gospel. Instead, it was them afflicting the preachers, afflicting the congregation. And so the Thessalonians, they suffered social ostracization. They suffered insults, physical affliction, and martyrdom because other people hated Jesus. And how were the Thessalonians to respond? Not with retaliation, not with repaying evil for evil, but instead they were to look to Jesus and see how he responded. First Peter chapter 2 says that when he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he was insulted, he did not insult in return. Instead, he continued to entrust himself to him who judges justly. And his suffering, like that Peter would say, is to be an example for all who are in Christ Jesus. Beloved, affliction for Christ is promised in the word. 
Therefore, it is to be expected. The call to follow Jesus is a call to suffer. Mark chapter 8, verse 34 and 35. If anyone wants to follow me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life because of me and the gospel will save it. 2 Timothy chapter 3, this morning, scripture reading verse 12. It says, all who want to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will, will, will be persecuted. This persecution it had come from people who are of our own ethnicity. The Thessalonians received it from the Gentiles. The churches in Judea who were Jews, they received it from the Jews. Think about Acts chapter 8, where Stephen was stoned. That stoning didn't come at the hands of Gentiles, but at the hands of Jews. As Saul, who later would become the apostle Paul, he oversaw that very own martyr. The reality is ethnic commonality will not exempt one from being afflicted for Jesus. Whether you're black, white, Asian, regardless of your ethnicity, unbelievers who have that very same ethnic ethnicity as you, they will persecute you for your faith in Jesus, even your very own family. And some of you can attest to it. Now, one may wonder, well, why is that the case? It's the case because our fundamental difference goes deeper than what we have in common. You see, by God's grace, we who are Christians, we have been made alive and they who aren't are spiritually dead. We've been brought into God's light by grace and they are still in darkness. By God's grace, we are in Christ Jesus and they are in Adam. By God's grace, we love Jesus and they hate him. And so they will persecute those who identify with him, whether it's being slandered or being beaten. And y'all, this hostility is not new. It has always been the case where there's been opposition towards God's messengers. Paul goes on to unpack it. Look at verse 15. He says, the Jews, they killed the Lord Jesus and the prophets and persecuted us. Jews killed Jesus, the very Messiah, the Messianic King who fulfilled the Old Testament, who displayed that he is God in the flesh. The very one they've been anticipating, they rejected and killed. Remember on Good Friday, they handed Jesus over to Pilate. They incited the crowd to crucify Jesus. Not knowing that it was God's very own plan for salvation, where he would save us from our sins. And Jesus rose, and as he, he now reigns, they killed Jesus. They also killed the prophets, the very messengers of God who proclaimed the oracles of God, telling people to repent, letting them know that judgment is coming as these prophets came to love the people by preaching God's word to them, letting them know that restoration will come. Well, the hearers hated the message, and so they killed the messengers. Paul would say that they also persecute us. The apostles faced opposition for preaching Christ, crucified, risen, and reigning. In the very book of Acts, Paul was persecuted in every town. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, he describes his suffering. He says, five times I received 40 lashes minus one from Jews. 
Three times I was beating with rods, once stoned, three times shipwrecked, faced danger from his very own people. Beloved, this hostility against God's messengers is indicative of their enmity with God. They hate God, his word, his work, and his people. So people will suffer. And suffering for Christ is not something that's unique. Instead, it is very common. Peter would say in 1 Peter chapter 4, he says, Don't be surprised by the fiery trials. Instead, rejoice as you share in the sufferings of Christ. If you are ridiculed for the name of Jesus, you are blessed. If you think about church history, churches around the world throughout history have suffered affliction on account of Jesus. Martyrdom, being killed, homes being ransacked, businesses being destroyed being institutional from government and from false religions. Following Jesus is costly. We know this theologically. Beloved, do we know this experientially? To where we are maligned and ridiculed for our faith in Jesus. As our country pushes churches to the margin, this will happen more and more. We're already experiencing some of this in part. We're being called bigots. Our gospel is being described as hate speech. And the reality is, beloved, the more we're open about our faith in Jesus, the more we will experience this persecution of some kind. Now, hear me. I'm not advocating that we, would, that we should go and seek these things out. Instead, I'm encouraging us to be faithful to share the gospel of Jesus Christ, knowing that judgment is real, to live out our faith before others, hoping that they would see our good works and give glory to our Father who is in heaven. Now, by God's grace, some of you have already encountered and experienced some of this, where you have lost jobs. You've been slandered for your faith in Jesus. Beloved, I've been encouraged by how you have endured such persecution. And I want to encourage you to continue to persevere because Jesus is worth it. He is worth every loss that we receive here on earth. He is glorious. Beloved, if he died for us, we can live and should live for him. So we will encounter affliction on account of Jesus. But the evidence of our conversion is not merely encountering it, but it's enduring it. In chapter 1, verse 3, Paul recalls for the Thessalonians in the presence of our God, he says he recalled their endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus. By God's grace, the Thessalonians, they received the persecution and they didn't fall away, but they endured. And the reason is because a genuine faith is an enduring faith. Saving faith is not one where I believe and then persecution comes and I commit apostasy. I am done with Jesus. Instead, saving faith is one who clings to Jesus in the midst of the persecution, knowing that all that he says is true, that he is who he says he is, and that he is worthy of me suffering on account of. 
we will encounter persecution. The question is, how do we endure it? How do we endure being ridiculed for our faith in Christ? How do we encounter being beaten for our faith? Because the the persecution is real and it is hard. So how do we endure? Well, we lift our eyes beyond our circumstances and fix them upon Jesus and his eternal glory. Think about Jesus in Hebrews chapter 12. What it says, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross and despising the shame. Think about what Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Listen to how he describes the affliction that they experienced. He says, for this light and momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. And listen to where they looked. He said, as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient. They're temporary. But the things that are unseen are eternal. Beloved, we can endure as we fix our gaze on the things that are eternal. If you think about the biblical authors, they are constantly trying to fix our gaze upon Jesus and the coming salvation. It is when we treasure not this world but Jesus Christ that we can endure all the hate and all the persecution that the world gives us. So may our gaze be not upon ourselves or our comfort but upon Jesus. We can also endure by God's grace, by enduring in community. Listen who Paul wrote to. He wrote to a specific congregation that they endured the persecution they experienced. You see, endurance is to take place in community where we encourage one another and remind one another of God's word. Reminding one another that the day of Jesus is drawing near. Reminding one another that Jesus is worth it. One of my favorite things in Little Pilgrim's Progress, if you read the book, you will see, especially in book two, that they endured persecution in community. Every time there was some sort of opposition or affliction, God would send someone to build them up, whether it be great heart or others. They would, they would come and they remind these little children of God's word. They remind them that everyone who hopes in him will not be put to shame. Even as you are being shamed by unbelievers right now, telling them that it is worth it in the end and endure. Beloved, that's what we're to be doing with one another. Coming alongside fellow brothers and sisters who are suffering for Jesus. Serving them. Praying for them. Strengthening them in the faith. Reminding them of God's word. Tell them to fix their gaze upon Jesus. Think about the very benediction in Jude 24 and 25. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. To the only God our Savior through Jesus Christ our Lord. Jude is fixing our gaze upon that day. What God will do, he will preserve us. And one of the ways that he preserves us is through gospel-centered encouragement where our faith is strengthened when we speak God's word to one another. Ephesians chapter 4 says, speaking the truth in love, we help one another grow. It is when we give that word, that's what encourages us. 
Think about the song, Dear Refuge of My Weary Soul. He says, your word can bring a sweet relief to every pain I feel. We need someone outside of us to remind us of God's word, to remind us of the worthiness of Jesus Christ, the glory that is to come, to look at the end of the book and let us know that there will be one day where there's no pain, that the persecution will only last a moment. But glory is eternal. And so, beloved, how are you responding to fellow members who are suffering on account of Jesus? Are you encouraging them in the faith? Reminding them of the hope that is to come. Though now you suffer, one day we'll obtain the outcome of our faith, the salvation of our souls. This is what Mr. Phil Newton preached last week. That is certainly true for all who are in Christ. We need to be reminded, just as that congregation needs to be reminded. So we're to be a people who embrace God's word as we follow Jesus, we'll encounter persecution. It is through the word that we learn that this affliction will not last. And as we experience it, we await the coming salvation. When Jesus will return, he will rescue his bride and he will judge all who didn't repent, all of his enemies. So we endure this persecution with an expectation of joy for us and an expectation of judgment upon God's enemies, which brings us to our third point. Look at verse 16. We'll go back to verse 15. Paul says, they killed the Lord Jesus and the prophets and persecute us. They displease God and are hostile to everyone by keeping us from speaking to the Gentiles so that they may be saved. As a result, they are constantly filling up their sins to the limit, and wrath has overtaken them at last. Here, Paul continues to unpack the hostility that they have received from unbelieving Jews. Now, it's important to know that Paul's language here is not anti-Semitic. He doesn't hate the Jews. He is one of them. In the book of Romans, he prayed constantly for their conversions. What Paul here is doing it is a critique, not to Jews in general, but to hostile Jews who have opposed the gospel. They are adamantly opposing Paul and the apostles as they are aiming to preach the gospel to Gentiles with the hope of them being saved. This took place in Paul's ministry. Think about Acts chapter 17 and 18. In Thessalonica, in, Thessalonica, in Berea, in Athens, and in Corinth, Jews were constantly persecuting Paul for preaching the gospel. And these things still happen today as churches are persecuted. It comes from government. It comes from other false religions, threatening us to stop preaching, calling our message hate speech. Here we see what God thinks of this action. It says that they displease God. And God will judge. You see, in his justice, he sees the opposition he opposes it, and one day he will judge it, and he will do it in his timing. Beloved, if this opposition persists without repentance, it will result in judgment. Listen to the deeds that they did. They killed the Lord Jesus and the prophets. 
They persecute us. These deeds are vile and wicked, and as you catch the frequency, it says they are constantly filling up their sins. And the Greek word for constant here is always. This is a lifestyle to where they are opposing the church. Paul says they are constantly filling up their sins to the limit. Wrath has overtaken them at last. Constantly filling up their sins to the limit. That language is pretty strange. It's verses like this that makes topical preaching very enticing. Because you can play dodgeball with verses like this. Well, let's try to unpack it. (laughs) He says they're constantly filling up their sins to the limit. Y'all, this is not the first time this type of language is being used in the Bible. In Genesis chapter 15, verse 16, God used the same language in reference to sins of pagan nations who occupied the promised land that Abraham's offspring will inhabit. Genesis 15, 16. It says, in the fourth generation, they will return for the iniquity of the Amorites has not yet reached its full measure. You see, what God said of pagans, Paul is saying that it applies to hostile Jews. And Jesus spoke similarly about the religious leaders in Matthew chapter 23, verse 31 and 32. He says, so you testify against yourselves that you are descendants of those who murdered the prophets Fill up then the measure of your ancestors' sins. This is speaking to the certainty of God's judgment that will come. For God is just a righteous judge. Sin arouses his anger. It provokes his holy wrath, and he will pour it out. And though this is true, Notice that this verse not only speaks to God's justice, it also speaks to God's patience. It says they are constantly filling up their sins to the limit. These who are hostile, they kill, they beat, they persecute, they prevent preaching. They oppose God and his people. Only one of these sins can be committed and God will be just to condemn them immediately. His anger is aroused and yet he waits. If I could illustrate this, it's like, um, man, I got toddlers in the house. And you guys, y'all know my kids are sinners. They're cute, but they're sinners. And at times in the house, they are disobeying what we say. And sometimes it's repeatedly. And we overlook it at times. Other times we begin to have a conversation with them, talking about their sin, calling them out on their disobedience. We, have, we warn them of the discipline that is to come if they do not stop. And we're having these conversations and we're given this warning Because we desire and we hope that they would stop. And there are times when their disobedience persists. And we delay the discipline. But as it persists, there will come a moment when delay will be no more and we will discipline our kids. Now, we're doing this to our own kids, those who we love. God is being patient with his enemies. And they are afflicting his beloved children. 
and he is patient. Delaying, giving time for their repentance. And yet they continue to presume on his kindness. And so Paul is saying that God's judgment upon them is imminent. We know that they are in danger. This should provoke compassion upon us who are in Jesus. For we know that there will be a day of the Lord's vengeance. It should cause us to plead for their repentance and pray and preach the gospel, warning them of the judgment that is to come. Constantly sharing the good news, letting them know to flee the wrath to come. Knowing that there will be a day when God's patience will be no more. For the Lord is slow to anger and he does get angry. One day his patience will be no more and he will judge. Paul says that they are constantly filling up their sins to the limit and wrath is overtaking them at last. This final phrase, wrath is overtaking them at last, there are two views as to what this means. One view is that wrath has already come upon them. And another view is that God's wrath is certain and in the end they will not escape. In the cards of the table, I lean towards the second view. And the reason is because in the book of 1 Thessalonians, wrath in the context is always talking about end times judgment. Chapter 1, verse 10, who rescue us from the coming wrath. Chapter 5, verse 2 and 3, talking about the day of the Lord will come. Chapter chapter 5, verse 9, talks about the destruction that will happen on the day of the Lord. This judgment will come at the very end when Jesus will return and rescue his bride and judge his enemies. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 will say that at the revelation of the Lord Jesus, God will repay with affliction those who afflicted the church. He will take vengeance upon them with a flaming fire and on those who do not know God and those who don't obey the gospel. Another reason why I lean this way is because at the very end, that phrase, at last, in the Greek, it can be translated in the end. So what I believe that Paul is saying about God's enemies, unless they repent, God's wrath upon them is so certain that it is spoken of in the past tense. And y'all, this is a hard word, but it is a comforting word for those who are afflicted. Think about Revelation chapter 6. Or those who have been martyred, they're pleading, how long, Lord, before you avenge our blood? It is because God is just that he will avenge. You know, this is not God being harsh. This is him being just. He has extended forgiveness and it was rejected. And then his people have been afflicted. And so he will judge. Paul is making known that this hostility upon God's people will not last. But that God sees it. He strengthens his people to endure. And there will be a day where he will bring it to the end. It is through the word that we know that this this affliction will not last. And so we embrace the gospel and we endure with hope. 
knowing that we who belong to Jesus by God's grace, knowing that we who love Jesus by God's grace, in this life we will suffer with him. And in the next, we will reign with him in glory. Beloved, we are one day closer to that being our eternal reality. May we hold fast to the gospel and endure all kinds of persecution with the hope that when Jesus returns, we will be with him. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we praise you for your grace in saving us. That we were once your enemies, that we were once those who were hostile to the gospel, and yet you rescued us from our unbelief. You rescued us from the wrath that is to come by your grace. Father, we pray that we would be a people who cherish the gospel of Christ, who love Jesus with our whole hearts, who are not afraid to suffer with him, knowing that you have promised all who believe in him that we will reign with him in glory. Lord, help us to endure by faith. May we encourage one another as we journey to the celestial city of glory where our faith will turn to sight. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.